hppodcraft.com. I am rolling. We are back. We are. Are we? <laughs> yeah, we are. Oh, wow. We're back in the, the third part of our 30-part series on the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadat. I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. I, I was just in the middle of a dream. <laughs> Yeah, what were you dreaming about? I was dreaming about... I was visiting this old friend of mine who lived in a dream land city of his own mm-hmm. creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name was Kiranis. Yeah. Well, because, see, I'm, I, I'm sort of on this quest. I, At least I think I was on a quest in this dream, and I was trying to find uh-huh. this beautiful golden city. Yeah. And uh, there's lots of monsters and crazy things I've been going through, and uh, I'm doing a really bad job at this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it sounds like you were uh, your dream was eerily similar to the story that we're covering here on the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Oh, at hppodcraft.com? Uh, let's stop being clever. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey. When last we left our listeners, Randolph Carter, our protagonist, as you said, he dreamed of a city that he wanted to visit. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't able to see it anymore in his dreams, so he decided he wanted to go to this place, Unknown Kadath, to talk to the Earth's gods, called the Great Ones, and say, hey, I want to see the city again. Nobody yep. knows where Kadath is, so he's had to go through all kinds of trials and tribulations to get as far as he has. Mm-hmm. Right now, he's in the dream city of Selephaeus, and he just spoke with the king of that place, Kiranes. Now, he knew Kiranes in life. Yeah. And uh, Kiranes is now the king of Selephaeus and a couple other dream places. And, and Kiranes has just told him, look, man, it's great that you want to go on this quest, but honestly, what you're really going to want at the end of the day is your own hometown of your youth. Yep. And, uh, and Carter said, well... Whatever, I'm going to keep going. So that's where we are. Yep. Uh, we're in the the city of Selephaeus, where, mm-hmm. where Kiranis rules. He doesn't actually live there anymore, but he lives near Selephaeus. And he's waiting for some sailors that are from Inganic, which is the, mm-hmm. the place where he wants to go. Because Inganic is the land where the people that live there look like a statue that is supposedly a statue of the gods. <laughs> right. It's a little complicated. <laughs> but when he was in Selephaeus before, he saw these sailors from Inganic and... When he saw the face in the mountain, he realized that it resembled the sailor. So this is where he's got to go next, because if he can, can go where people look like that sculpture on the mountain, he knows the gods are nearby. Yeah. And he also knows that in, in Ingonic, they, uh, the onyx trade is a big deal, and that there's a lot That's of right. miners and stuff for, for onyx. So he starts doing a little research and finding out what it is to be an onyx a miner. And he's, you know, he's getting a scheme in his head. He's going to, I'm going to go there and pretend that I'm looking for Onyx work. Exactly. And that's, and that's pretty much what he does. When the sailors finally show up, uh, he says, hey, I want to work in the Onyx quarries. Um, I'm an old Onyx prospecting guy. And uh, <laughs> let me on your boat. And let's go back to Ingonic. And they believe him. Now, the reason he really does that is because he's afraid if he tells them what he's really doing, somehow subconsciously, the great ones will find out yeah. because these men are descended from them and through some kind of, I don't know, cell memory or something psychic link stuff yeah, something they'll, they'll figure it out so he gets on the ship he leaves Selephes he's in the boat with the, these Inganak sailors and gradually he gets them to talk a little bit about where they're from mm-hmm. their cold twilight land and uh, <laughs> they, they say you know it's, it's, it's cool the problem is we can't have cats um, and <laughs> my cat just meowed really loud in the back. <laughs> they, uh, they can't have cats there because the cats are freaked out by the, the desert to the north yeah. As are the people who live in Ingonic. There's some kind of really terrible stony desert there. And this is what he thinks uh, might be this plateau of Lang that he has heard right. so much about. And uh, he, they also talk about the Onyx quarries and how there is one quarry close to that desert where there are huge blocks missing. Uh-huh. And Carter knows that the palace that the gods live in 
is made out of onyx. Yeah, but giant, giant onyx stones that weren't cut by any human hand. So uh, maybe that's maybe that's a clue. Well, they they're sailing and they on their way to Inganok, they pass this rock uh-huh. out in the water where something is howling. It's pretty terrible, and the sailors don't like it, and they sort of steer yeah. clear of it. They stare, and he goes, Wait, what's up with that? And he goes, we just don't go there. Yeah. We don't go to it that It doesn't island. have a name. It hasn't been sought by any vessel because the sounds that come from it are, are terrible. Yeah. We skip it. Uh, Moving on. And they get to Inganok, and it's all made of onyx, and it's pretty. And there's a tower there that they, they see as they're coming into port. It's the Temple of the Elder Ones, where yeah. people worship. Well, I don't know what goes on there. They, they worship the Elder Ones. It's a... The rhythm of the great ones they talk about. Uh-huh. I don't know what it is. It says it's ruled by an old high priest, sad with inner secrets. Yeah. That was a cool description. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you knew the things about the Lovecraftian universe, you would be sad too. They pull into port, and um, there are these strange, slant-eyed slaves milling around, which he believes are from the Plateau of Lang, which I think is what he... Yeah, he thinks that's going to be where the, the Onyx Temple is, the big temple that the gods of Earth live in. Right. Which is yeah. which is Kadath, basically. They go into town, and um, I thought it was interesting. They go into this tavern after docking, where people are all getting drunk and telling stories and having fun, but whenever these sort of chimes and bells and, and horns and viols and voices rise from the tower the temple of the elder ones everybody stops and bows their head yeah it's almost like saudi arabia or something like that what <laughs> what, what do you you mean that uh the, just the reverence of of religion and in god that the that the yeah. saudis have is that what I mean? well no i mean they'll have prayer times during the day and they'll close shades and restaurants and everybody has to stop what they're doing all right you know wherever you are so it's it's that kind of ancient civilization where those things are, are still very powerful yeah well, absolutely you know he's at the tavern and he happens to see uh, one of these slant-eyed people he recognizes it's the old slant-eyed merchant that he had seen before in the taverns of dileth lane right. yeah he had come he had come with a yak caravan some, <laughs> and nobody knows from where but he had all kinds of eggs that he likes to trade for jade goblets and these eggs are supposed to belong to shantak birds right i don't know what those are we don't know yet what they are. They haven't explained exactly what the Shantaks, but supposedly they're great big birds. People are a little freaked out by them. Yeah, a little scared. They're a little scared. The next morning, the captain takes Carter around to this, you know, he takes gives, gives him kind of a tour of the city. Yeah. And he takes him around to the temple where they're hearing all the noise from. And all of these priests come out in lines with gold bowls that are steaming. Right. And they kind of disappear into these other... Uh, in other buildings and I thought well those aren't priests they're caterers he just doesn't understand the situation <laughs> at all caterers look very holy sometimes they have the yeah. black outfits that's true that's Tem- true temple of Wolfgang Puck <laughs> it's just a bunch of uh, macaroni cheese that they're bringing in <laughs> man macaroni cheese is so delicious it, it really is so Carter was gonna wanted to know more about the temple and go in but He's not allowed. Right. Yeah, it's a, right. only the veiled king is allowed to go into this. So he's like, yeah. all right, whatever. I, I guess I'm not going. Yeah, and they pass the veiled king's palace, which is nice. And, you know, it's it's kind of dull. They One thing that I thought was interesting is I know they keep a Shantak, an actual Shantak bird in the king's palace, but they keep it in a dark room and they never, there's no light. So nobody's actually even seen it. They feed it in the dark, oh. which make, it makes no sense to me why they would keep it there and just feed yeah. it in the dark. It seems kind of cruel, actually. But Maybe Shantaks uh, like solitude and darkness. True. Maybe they do. They're just weird alien creatures. They have their own, you know, their own loves and hates and passions. Well, <laughs> <laughs> at least it definitely contributes to a general atmosphere of weirdness that the yeah. king has a giant monster that he feeds in the dark. And I don't know what he gets out of that. 
Yeah. So uh, uh, Carter breaks with the captain at mm-hmm. a tavern, and he starts to ask questions more about that desert to the north, mm-hmm. under the guise of being this onyx, you know, miner. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gets a yak going. You know, rents a yak from it's- Joe's yak rental, and he takes off for the quarries by himself finally. And uh, he, it takes a long time to get there. First, he gets to a, a small domed village called Erg. And the second night, he camps out in uh, the shadow of a large black crag. But on mm-hmm. the third night, that's when things kind of start to happen. Yeah, the third night, he hangs out in a camp, right? Yeah. With, a, a, with a bunch of quarry guys. Or yeah. Quarry guys, yeah. And uh, he tells them, I'm prospecting. Prospecting for Onyx. <laughs> I just imagine that to trick him, you put on a big beard and a hat. He wears one of those. He just wears those one bodysuit underwear you know where it's one big long gone (laughs) yeah exactly he's got he's got suspenders you know uh his pants up that's exactly how he's dressed right now he tells him he's prospecting and and they say well don't go too far to the north there's a lot of risks up there but he ignores him and he he starts heading out that way and he notices as he leaves that group that the slant-eyed merchant who's been following all along shows up and starts talking to them so he's kind of got a tail Yep, this guy's been following him for a long time. He goes off north past some inhabited places and finally gets out to where it's pretty lonely. And then there's this this hill that he abuses his yak uh, up the hill. Um, Well, I don't know. It says his his yak was dubious, it says. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, yaks are... are, are known for their stubbornness. So you got to, you know, really push your yak if you're going to get it to do any real work for you. Well, do you think he beats it or do you think he just like berates it? Probably just says mean things. You'll never amount to anything. Exactly. And then the yak wants to go, well, I'll show you. And then just yeah, yeah. keeps going. <laughs> well, he finds that quarry, that rumored quarry where the giant pieces of onyx are missing. Yes. He's there at that quarry with all the big, where all the big blocks are missing. Cyclopean gouges in the earth. Yes. And he knows that this is where they dug up the onyx to build the castle of the Great Ones. And as he's checking it out, his yak suddenly utters a cry and just runs. Yeah, he gets yeah. spooked and he runs off. And so Carter starts... Runs north. Yeah. Runs in the direction they were headed. And Carter chases after Chases it. off after it. Yeah. yeah. And he hears some hoofbeats at one point, and he thinks that maybe it's his yak, but then he realizes those hoofbeats are coming from behind him. Mm-hmm. So something's after him, and as he's running, he sees something. Yeah. A giant uh, mountain range. Mm-hmm. Sort of mountain statues. Yeah, I, it was kind of hard for me to figure out what exactly they were. Are they big, sort of mountainous heads? Yeah, well, no, I think they're big, giant dudes uh, because they're yeah. um, they're like reaching out. I believe it says, and yeah, like they have their hands out holding you off or something. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he's can see them only because they are backlit by the phosphorescent clouds. Right, so they're kind of right. silhouetted. So it's hard for him to really make out exactly what they are, but they seem like they're just giant, giant statues. Like mountain-sized. Giant warning statues. Yeah. Don't come here. Exactly. And then there's also something in there. Laps. It was only the flickering light of the clouds that made their mitered double heads seem to move. But as Carter stumbled on, he saw arise from their shadowy laps great forms whose motions were no delusion. Winged and whirring, those forms grew larger each moment, and the traveler knew his stumbling was at an end. They were not any birds or bats known elsewhere on Earth or in Dreamland. They were larger than elephants and had heads like a horse's. Carter knew that they must be the Shantak birds of ill rumor, and wondered no more what evil guardians and nameless sentinels made men avoid the boreal rock desert. And as he stopped in final resignation, he dared at last to look behind him, 
where indeed was trotting the squat, slant-eyed traitor of evil legend. Grinning astride a lean yak, and leading on a noxious horde of leering shantaks, to whose wings still clung the rhyme and nitre of the nether pits. Yeah, so a, yeah. a giant, a group of these giant bird creatures that have horse heads. And yeah. later, later, one of the descriptions later, we find out they don't even have feathers, they have scales. Ugh, the dragonish. Yeah, kind of they're things, like, sort of like dragons, and they're huge. They're like elephant sized. Slant eyed merchant jumps down from his yak and basically says, You gotta go where I take you, man. I got these birds as bouncers. But through gestures, you know, like he points, he's like, You, get on the bird. You know, right. and so Carter's like, all right, I guess I got to get on this, <laughs> this giant bird. And he, yep, he climbs. I mean, there's up. nothing he can do about it. He's got to get on that bird. Yeah, so he uh, he climbs uh, climbs on it, and the the slant eye guy gets on the back behind him, and I I assume that you know he puts his hands around his waist, and of course he does, puts his head on his shoulder behind him, and yeah. you know they hold you know each other very closely, and. Uh, <laughs> They fly uh, off. They fly off, yeah. Yeah, high over the mountains that block Inganok from laying. Uh-huh. Uh, and he sees caves in those mountains that remind him of the night gaunt caves he's seen before. Right. Well, foreshadowing there. Um, and they, they fly over Lang, which is that cold desert plateau. That's Lang. Yeah. And um, I imagine he says there's pipe music coming from there. There's a crotala. Right. And he sees dancing and uh, fire. Yeah. There's dancing around these fires. Yeah. There's these things. They leap weirdly and they look familiar. They leaped as though they had hooves instead of feet, and seemed to wear a sort of wig or headpiece with small horns. Of other clothing they had none, but most of them were quite furry. Behind they had dwarfish tails, and when they glanced upward he saw the excessive width of their mouths. Then he knew what they were, and that they did not wear any wigs or headpieces after all. The cryptic folk of Leng were of one race, with the uncomfortable merchants of the black galleys that traded rubies at Dilethleen, those not-quite-human merchants who are the slaves of the monstrous moon-things. They were indeed the same dark folk who had shanghai Carter on their noisome galleys so long ago, and whose kith he had seen driven in herds about the unclean wharves of that accursed lunar city. With the leaner ones toiling and the fatter ones taken away in crates for other needs of their polypus and amorphous masters, now he saw where such ambiguous creatures came from, and shuddered at the thought that Lang must be known to these formless abominations from the moon. Whoa. Okay, so that that one we know what those those merchants were all about. Those guys that yeah. kid, kidnapped Carter. So that that horrible thing he'd seen when the turban came loose on his captor earlier was just some curly hair and a horn, right? And, <laughs> and horns. Yeah, small horns. They have small horns on their head. Like uh, I think the from this description to me, it sounds like they're sort of like um, satyrs or, or fawns. You know, like they've got hooven feet, they've got little yeah. tails, they've got horns on their head. But but what what this really tells us, and which I think is interesting, is that these guys know about. The great old ones they know about the or the the great ones and the other gods you know they're in so when he started snooping around before uh-huh. and when they kidnapped him you know he was yeah. right they were going to take him to the other gods or punish him or do right, something bad right. so this just confirms oh wow these guys are in more cahoots with you know the other gods than i thought i mean they live yeah. on the plateau of lang yeah that's their hometown yeah that's where, but they, they are being enslaved i mean they don't want to they don't i don't know if they want to work for the moonbees necessarily this is uh, yeah confirmation that nefarious 
folks are working against Carter, and they have been the whole time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I imagine that it's almost like the Old West down there, too, for some reason, especially when you describe the, the you know, percussive instruments playing, and, uh-huh. you know, castanets kind of sounds. I don't know. That whole landscape, I imagine, is just this cold, gloomy, you know, looks like South Dakota in 1850 or something. So they fly over non-human landscape to the monastery of the man with the yellow mask. We've heard about him before. He lives in this windowless stone monastery. And we don't really know who he is. No. Yeah. But I think, you know, Carter says, well, I, I, I think this dude had been behind everything you know my earlier capture and that i indeed had needed to go to nyarlathotep that's what they were trying to do yeah uh well they go into the windowless monastery and within it there are these hieroglyphics telling history and he looks at the stories on the walls oh there's some cool stuff i mean there's some cool stuff there's like frescoes and engravings and those types of things yeah but he sees that the men of lang fought purple spiders you know <laughs> right. which i thought yeah, was really that's right Really cool and interesting. And he also saw yeah. the moon beast set up a, a little base on an island. And like looking yeah. at the way the layout was, it's that island that he went by on his way to Ungonic with those with those men. Yeah. You know, that he heard that noise come yeah, from. With a howling rock. With a howling rock. But he also discovers, which is a very pertinent fact, that Shantaks are afraid of Nikons. Yes. Which at, at this point seems kind of like, that's an interesting tidbit that probably won't play into the story at all. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like everybody's afraid of the Nikons. But the the, uh, the frescoes also reveal that the almost humans, the pan-like, you know, fawns, they lived in this ancient city of Sarcomont. Oh, yes, Which yes. is older, older, older than men. It, mm-hmm. it says its ruins had bleached for a million years before the first humans saw the light. So this is where he had sent his ghoul buddies earlier. Oh, right, yes, the, the ruins of the city. Sarcomont. Go find lost Sarcomont, and that'll be a way you can get home. And... You know, what he sees of the city is that there's this pair of winged colossal lions who guard this sort of subterranean staircase that leads down into some sort of massive abyss, great abyss from the dreamland. Um, and hmm. that was sort of the centerpiece of that city. Sarkamon to me sounds like a Bond villain, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure does. But, you know, when he find, in that fresco where he says that the uh, the Shantaks fear the Nikons, mm-hmm. it also says somehow in there that the Nikons... Don't serve Nyarlathotep. They serve Nodens. Yeah, and Nodens is uh, one of the one of the great ones. He's one of Earth's gods. Yeah. So it seems that's a little strange. But I thought it was strange too, especially because it seems like everybody's afraid of the Night Gods. But that is that is their master, which I, you know at least he knows. Well, Night Gods aren't gonna. I mean, they got their own agenda. They're not serving Nyarlathotep, who's been ruining right. my life lately as I've been on this quest. You know, Nodens with with the uh, dancers that live mm-hmm. in Lang. And with this Nodens comment, it really reminded me of the great god Pan. Oh, right, yeah. Arthur Mackin. Yeah, that's right. It has influenced a lot of Lovecraft's work. And I just recently read the story mm-hmm. because you and I got some complimentary books. Yeah. Uh, the, from the, Bloodletting the, Press. Yeah, they're really well done. Uh, amazing, amazing book. I was so pleased to get it. Larry Roberts over at Bloodletting Press sent us these books. And I read The Great God Pan, and it's an excellent story. Yeah. But there's touches of all sorts of Lovecraftian stuff in there. I mean, the first chapter really is just an early draft of From Beyond, I swear. And later, they obviously Pan plays a part mm-hmm. in that story. But also, they find a description on a tree in there that makes reference to Nodens, the god of the great abyss. Mm-hmm. Which I found interesting because the night gods sort of come from the abyss. I mean, they're they're the ultimate dark creature, right? And Nodens yeah. is the the sort of lord of that. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Found a connection there, but I also wanted to put a plug in for those books. We're going to put a link up on the show notes. They're so great. Yeah, they're really cool. And, and I think everybody should check out Arthur Mackin because there's a clearly strong influence from his work to Lovecraft. So. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
So they go through past all these frescoes in the windowless monastery. And eventually they get into this great domed space where there's all these bas-reliefs and a yeah. huge pit in the middle mm-hmm. and, uh, and some altars around. And the merchant forces him to walk up to the throne in the middle of the room. Now, this, for the record, this room is completely dark. There's no yeah. light in there at all. And the only light comes from this lamp that the merchant is carrying, this lamp merchant. And there on a golden throne sat a lumpish figure robed in yellow silk, figured with red, and having a yellow silken mask over its face. To this being, the slant-eyed man made certain signs with his hands, and the lurker in the dark replied by raising a disgustingly carven flute of ivory in silk-covered paws and blowing certain loathsome sounds from beneath its flowing yellow mask. He knew that the creature on the dais was without doubt the high priest not to be described, of which legend whispers such fiendish and abnormal possibilities. But he feared to think just what that abhorred high priest might be. Then the figured silk slipped a trifle from one of the grayish white paws, and Carter knew what that noisome high priest was. And in that hideous second, stark fear drove him to something his reason would never have dared to attempt. For in all his shaken consciousness, there was room only for one frantic will to escape from what squatted on that golden throne. What is it? When the mask goes aside, he realizes what it is. Yeah, it's not. He doesn't share that with us. No, no, it's it's probably something so horrible that uh, it can't be described. Whoo! Carter goes all action hero at that yeah, point. Yeah, he freaks out, hauls ass, and charges into uh, the slant-eyed man and knocks him in the flippin' big pit that's in the middle of the ground. Carter, hitherto wholly passive, now gave that man a terrific push with all the wild strength of fear so that the victim toppled at once into that gaping well which rumor holds to reach down to the hellish vaults of Zin, where gugs hunt ghasts in the dark. Good job, Carter. Finally. Nice. He grabs the lamp, and he runs back off through the temple. And he gets lost. And his... (laughs) (laughs) He goes the wrong way. In retrospect, he says, maybe I should have followed those frescoes because I could have, you know. But he's a little freaked out. You got to cut him some slack here because, I mean, he just saw what's behind the yellow mask, and it ain't something that you can deal with easily. Right. I I have to say at this point, though, um, it was a pretty easily done escape. Yeah, it was. You know? He, all this time and effort and energy to get him here in front of this guy with the yellow mask, and he just pushed his guide over and ran, and mm-hmm. they couldn't catch him. Yeah, that's it. I, I was reading a, um, an article that somebody had written about Lovecraft where they said, you know, he writes about things that are indescribable and horrible and so terrible that if you even look at them, you go crazy. But he also has the most easily defeatable monsters in all of horror. You know, they're really not tough to break down. Like Cthulhu, you drive a boat into his belly, and that's it. <laughs> Now, okay, wait a minute. In Cthulhu's defense, he just, he doesn't, he's not gone. His his manifestation right. just kind of pops and then he reforms. I know, I know. I, I, fi- I thought it was a funny notion that. Absolutely. You know, there are other examples, which I won't get into. I'm with you. I, I, get, I get what you're saying, but I'm just going to say, hey, look, don't mess with Lovecraft. Yeah. I, hey, man, I'm on your side. I agree. I, okay. I thought that was, yeah, you know what? In fact, the guy that said that, screw him. <laughs> his argument was just as easily defeated. <laughs> I just turned on him. He's not followed, and he's groping around in the dark trying to find a way out. And he all of a sudden starts falling. He, he, you know, groping around in the dark, he missteps, and he's 
sliding down a a, a slope, to, like a tunnel. Yeah, it's like straight down this burrow that he just falls into. And I think he said it seems to take hours for him to fall. Lovecraft loves that. Everything takes hours around here. You know? So he's just <laughs> falling and falling and falling and falling. It, were, it reminded me of uh, Bill and Ted's bogus journey when they... Uh, <laughs> Do you remember when they go down to hell and they're screaming the whole time and then they just get tired of screaming? <laughs> they get kind of tired, yeah. <laughs> and they start screaming again and then they start playing 20 questions. Well, he uh, he eventually lands in the ruins of Sarkomont, which is what is down this burrow. Yeah. And uh, he, he can see there's these phosphorescent clouds down there mm-hmm. that help him see the ruins. I, mean, I kind of thought it was like Las Vegas, you know, like Venice or Caesar's Palace where they have the sort of fake clouds up in the ceiling. So three in the morning, <laughs> it feels like the middle of the day. <laughs> That's what uh, Sarkomon looks like. Yeah, okay. I, that's not exactly and, what was in my head, but I'll, I'll let you have that one. <laughs> well, he's screwed, man. There's nowhere to go. He's yeah, down there in the ruins of Sarkomon. He can't go back through Lang because there's too many folks looking for him. Below are the ghouls and the gugs and the ghasts if he decides to go further down. Yeah. And that's no good. Uh, he doesn't have a boat to sail with, so he's just sort of stuck. Yeah, well, he is. And so he kind of starts wandering around and he mm-hmm. sees some campfires. Right. He sees some light. So he sees there's somebody, you know, some kind of civilization, something's going on. And he realizes that these campfires are near the shore. So he's by a big body of water. And when he gets closer to kind of see what's going on, he sees that docked uh, on the shore or near the shore is one of the black alleys from the moon. Yeah. And he gets all stealthy when he hears a ghoul cry. Yeah, uh, he sneaks around and he looks and he sees that it's his boys. Yeah, the and they are being ghouls. tortured by the moon beasts. They're oh, torturing them. Flipping moon beasts. They're basically heating up spears and they're just uh-huh. laying them against uh, the prisoner's flesh. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, these guys are definitely bad. These moon beasts. Before I thought they were, eh, you know, maybe they're just misguided, but no, they're they're plain evil. <laughs> now Carter can't do anything about it because there's too many moon beasts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's way too many moon beasts. He can't. Yeah. He can't deal with this. So he's gonna. He remembers looking at those frescoes, that that there's an entrance down where night gaunts live, in in Sarkomon. Yeah. All right. So this is one of those times where first I'm hearing of something. Carter goes, Hmm. Well, there's some more ghouls I could go talk to below here, uh-huh. and I know that the ghouls have treaties with the night gaunts. Uh huh. And Pikmin actually has taught me to glibber out a password that will allow the night gaunts to know. Then I'm with them. Cool with yeah. the ghouls. This is the first I'm hearing of it. The ghouls have a treaty with the night gaunts. Re- remember that the, the night gaunts brought stuff in and threw them in this pit. Yeah, which was near the night. Kind of. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Look, I think that it's one of those things where you he was writing this and he went, oh, you know what would be great is if there was a treaty here. And that's how I move forward. Mm-hmm. And then normally he would have gone back into the story near the beginning and justified it somehow, but he just never got around to it or something. Right. Because it really does come out of nowhere. Well, into, when I first read it, I, it I thought it made sense, you know, without really thinking about it, because the Nikons brought people into that big place where they threw bones. But if the Nikon, or if the ghouls are throwing bones into that place, then it's not useful to them. It's really for the bulls. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, you're right. It doesn't. It doesn't really make sense because he was pretty scared the first time they picked him up and started flying him around. Yeah, absolutely. He didn't. He didn't think then. Well, I'll just glibber this password and they'll leave me alone because yeah. he could have done that. Well, anyway, <laughs> I accept it. Mm-hmm. Spend my disbelief. He heads over to the uh, lions, those two lions that he'd seen in the fresco, because right. there's a pit between them that he can descend to go see some ghouls. It says he manfully persisted toward those lions. <laughs> 
Which, you know what? He is a pretty manful guy. I mean, he doesn't take any crap from anybody. He doesn't fear anybody. No. You know? He has moments where he's a little worried about things, but mostly he's just worried because he can't get any closer to his quest or he's getting off course. Right. He's a really strong character. I mean, he's different than a lot of Lovecraft protagonists in that, you know, he shows up and he's like, all right, here's what's going on. You guys start a war. Beat that zebra. Let's go. (laughs) He's a lot like, and we didn't talk about this too much before but he's a lot like john carter the edgar ice burroughs character oh yeah which is and definitely something lovecraft had had read yeah and and a lot of people would actually say that this story is in fact sort of a rip of of edgar ice burroughs mars series yeah where john carter because john carter doesn't actually even take a spaceship he lays no. down and he sort of psychically travels up to mars travels to the mars yeah same kind of thing he shows up he puts together a bunch of armies he's he manfully persists through lots of obstacles, right, right. and uh, there's all sorts of different monsters that he allies himself with, etc. Et right. But I did have a copy of uh, John Carter of Mars since I was a little kid. It was like a 1960s copy, hardcover. And um, when I was a teenager, I hollowed it out, and that's where I kept my cigarettes. <laughs> 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 Every time I, I see the name John Carter of Mars, I just think about that book on my bookshelf. That's where I always where I hid stuff. Yeah, isn't that terrible? That's nice book I had no too. idea that you yeah hid cigarettes. That's yeah in John Carter Mars. Yeah, hopefully your mom isn't listening to this particular episode of the podcast. She will be mortified. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> he goes down into the gulfs. Mm-hmm. He goes for you know hours. Actually, he's climbing. He's descending this pit. I'm climbing, and at some point, he feels himself. He, it's almost like the transition is very dreamlike. He's suddenly being carried. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not down there anymore, and it's a night yeah. gone. They've, they got they've him. picked him up. Yep, yeah. yep. So he meeps out a password yep. to them, and the night gone are suddenly, you know, they're cool. They start taking him back to Pikmin. They they put him down among the ghouls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was a little confused about the geography. So is is the ghoul world just under everything? I mean, it doesn't matter where you are. I'm I'm th- yeah. Well, yeah. I think well, I think it's connected to everywhere through the underground. You know, it's it's sort of like there's, you know, how there are warrens and and passageways and and secret underground things that right. get you from one place to the other. And I think that that sort of ghouls are everywhere. They sort of infest everything because anywhere there's dead things, that they, that's where they go. So, ah, okay. that's I mean, that's just the impression I got. There's nothing, I, I can't really concretely back that up. That's just <laughs> <laughs> that's more of a well, feeling I get when I read it. So it's happening in the story. They dropped me, went down the the abyss. Nikon snatched him up. They dropped him off the ghouls. He yeah. start. He gets it going right away. <laughs> he tells him, uh, "This is what's going on. Our buddies are up there being tortured. More ghouls assemble. More Nikons show up. Yeah. Everybody's getting mad. You know, it's sort of like the warriors or something like that. And uh, <laughs> it's a little ghoul army. And then all of the yeah. ghouls get on the backs of of, of Nikons. Yeah, they decide that they're going to." Go to war. They assemble an army, which people are doing all the time in this story. Why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, and they head back up the plaza with, uh, you know, the night gods carrying them up, up to the great stone lions, and they get ready to attack. And I think that would be a good place for us to pause right now. Yeah. There's going to be a big, another war that's another completely war. Carter's fault in the next episode, our <laughs> concluding episode of the Dream Quest of Unknown Cadet. Just, folks, get ready for some Night Gone action, because there's going to be a lot of it. Yeah, and it's going to be sexy. (laughs) What? uh, What? (laughs) Nothing. Uh, Hey, I also, once again, want to thank our excellent, excellent reader, Lance Holt, for once again, you know, knocking it out of the park. It's uh, it's been really fun doing these stories with him as a reader. Yeah, he's great, and uh, just very talented, and all around great at setting a mood, so keep it up. 
And with that, I am Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey. And this has been the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. HPPodcraft.com. <laughs> <laughs>